This is the voice of Rosa, a 14-year-old beggar girl on the streets of Phnom Penh, who routinely wards off foreigners offering to buy her new clothes. It's hard. After all, what young teen doesn't want new clothes? But Rosa knows that underneath the offer lies the trap of sexual exploitation, something that she doesn't want to buy into. Unfortunately, though, not many are as strong as she is. That Cambodia has become a pedophile's paradise is a problem with diverse implications. Today on Asian Threads, we'll look at the stories of children who become the victims. Chiavon, a young girl who was sold into a brothel by her aunt, and three young brothers all of who were molested by a traveling sex offender who was convicted for a similar crime back in his home country. Asian Threads. Asian Threads. Spinning the tales of Asian communities and cultures, their personal accounts, their history, and their literature. Asian this program is sponsored by the Wing Foundation. Of all the cruel things we do, nothing is more inhumane than the sexual exploitation of our children. The country's capital city, Phnom Penh, was once known as the Pearl of Asia, but beneath the romance of this name are the lost lives of thousands of young girls and boys who are slaves in the city's bustling sex trade. Not long ago, Svepak, a dusty shantytown on the outskirts of the city was at the heart of this exploitative trade. Better known as Kilo 11, this area was officially closed down by the government in 2007. But unfortunately, it didn't bring an end to the story. Sam Leung Sela is the country director of Action Pour Les Enfants, or Apple Cambodia, a local NGO that hunts down pedophiles. He says the activity has simply masked itself under a different cover. We know their business is uh, still going on through the back door. There are still some sort of arrangements for you know, a sex offender to assess children. But uh, from my observation, it's not really happening inside that location, but children are transported out or they are trafficked to other places uh, in the country. Uh, to meet with their sex offender. Recently, the government has committed to closing down official brothels in many parts of the country, especially in the capital. But according to Robert Weber of Destiny Rescue, a local NGO that rescues child sex victims, this means that a large part of the city's sex trafficking now hides behind the face of what is locally known as the entertainment industry. They have um, establishments known as KTVs over here, which stands for karaoke television. They have beer gardens, they have bars with hostesses there, they have massage parlours and in all of these places girls are available and dress up and hang out in front of these places to entice men inside so that you can go in and be entertained and um, during that situation you're able to meet with these girls, um, build relationships with them and if you like the girls the opportunity comes that you're able to take them out. Um, the laws in Cambodia 
prohibit people profiting from the proceeds of prostitution. The laws stop people from being able to do that. So to get around those laws, they have these establishments where you can be introduced to these girls and if you like them, you take them away and the owners of the businesses expect to get some sort of a compensation if you're taking away their workers. So you pay a bar fine to take these girls away uh, from these establishments. What you do with these girls after that is between you and them and you get to negotiate directly with the girl on that. The legal age of consent for sex in Cambodia is 15 years of age. And so these girls are really tricked into thinking they're making their own decisions on these sorts of things. But the reality is if they're not attracting customers into these establishments, if they're not being taken out of these establishments, then the owners of these places don't make any money and everybody knows what is going on behind the scenes. But it does make for a very interesting legal situation here in Cambodia where it's very hard to prosecute people who are involved in those types of activities. Sailor supports Robert's view that investigation into so-called legal establishments can be a nightmare. Uh, investigating and collecting evidence against this, these practices are, are very complicated uh, because of the lack of uh, legal framework and authority of the police to do some sort of undercover investigation into these businesses. Uh, and police need uh, some more power, legal power and investigative technique in order to get or infiltrate into this environment to collect evidence to stop the crime. And for example, when it comes to abuses or prostitution of children in this or under this legal establishment, it's quite difficult uh, to prove it. You have to wonder what the prime cause of sex trafficking is. It is driven almost entirely by um, a sense of poverty or a sense of hopelessness that a family may be experiencing. A family might feel like they've got no other options when they run into debt or they have um, an accident or need surgery or medical attention um, or even just can't see through being able to put food on the table for a family. The family will decide to send their girls out into these areas to make money to feed their families. The girls don't usually have a choice in this, particularly as they're minors, they're under the care of their parents and because of the way the culture is in Asia, there is um, such a strong respect for parents and an obligation to family that they feel they have no choice but to obey and do what the family is asking them to do. It was exactly this sense of family obligation described by Robert that led Chavon to become a victim of sex trafficking. I visited Phnom Penh to meet with members of the Somali Mom Foundation where she now works. It's an organization that rescues and rehabilitates young girls who have been forced into sex trafficking. This is where I learned more about her story. Hailing from a very poor family in the Kapunchang province, Chavon lived in a ramshackle home with many sisters and brothers. It was impossible for her to go to school. Her father took ill when she was just 15 years old, and seized by an urge to help her mother earn money for the family, she consulted with her aunt, who was visiting from Phnom Penh. She told me, Chavon, you want to go in Phnom Penh with me? Because in Phnom Penh I have a lot of jobs and I can give a job for you. And you can, when you work at Phnom Penh, you can have a lot of salary for help uh, your mother. And then I, I think more and more 
I think I, I want to go, but I so young and I don't know Phnom Penh. My father is sick. I want to have them too. So I go with her. As she traveled to the city, all she could think about was her new job, the salary she would earn, and how she would help her family. But when she arrived there, her aunt sold her into a brothel where she was immediately enslaved. They put me uh, in a room underground and closed the door. So they told me, when you don't sleep with the client, I don't give rice, I don't give fruit or water or anything for you, and I don't give you go out. I cry every day. I'm so scared. I want to miss my mother, my father. Eight years later, Chavon was finally rescued by the police and AFISAP, a local NGO that provides outreach, aftercare and vocational training services to victims of trafficking and sexual exploitation. She was taken to the Tomdi Center, a residential recovery center operated by AFSIP. But at that point, it was near impossible for her to trust anyone. It's an interesting thing as you go through rescue because you get to the point where you get to reveal to these girls um, what it is you really are there to do. And you can see the look of bewilderment in their eyes, the hope that's in their eyes. They're, they're wondering whether this is really true. They've been lied to before and cheated by so many people who've just betrayed their trust. And so it's um, a very difficult decision for them to make often to leave these places as much as they want to leave, uh, for them to trust another person and to, to come with you to go and see what you can actually do for them is a very big step for them. When I go at the Tumdi Centre, I don't want to live there because I, I don't have the confidence with myself or with another one because my aunt... I, I had a competition with my aunt, but she uh, sold me in the process. So who I can have the confidence? I can't believe. In 2009, Chavon joined the Voices for Change program of the Somali Mom Foundation. It's a program that empowers survivors by offering opportunities for leadership, advocacy, professional development and mentoring. Today, she works with children high school and university students primarily, to raise their awareness about their vulnerability to traffickers. She helps them recognize warning signs and trains them in what to do or who to call should they find themselves or someone else in trouble. After receiving this initial training from Chavon and her team, students then go on to disseminate this information in their own communities. How do young children wind up being for sale? If they are born into poverty like Chavon, then by default they are prey from a very young age. Nobody knows this better than foreign sex offenders who travel to Cambodia searching for these vulnerable children and lure them using grooming techniques for days, sometimes months, because by doing so they know they can get the victims into their pockets. Sela says that most of these crimes go unreported. The first reason would be their financial situation. They need to secure relationship with the sex offender. Sex offenders who are coming here are also using lots of grooming techniques and they're well 
to build bonds with the family and to create the family in financial dependency. And as long as the victim are under the influence and, and support of the sex offender, uh, first of all, uh, they're not willing to file any complaint or put a case against them. Uh, and that, of course, creates a culture of impunity. Uh, when there is no complaint, there is no investigation, there is no arrest, there is no prosecution. But that's not all. It's equally easy for foreign sex offenders to buy out local officials. For example, they are able to get released on bail much more easily than local sex offenders. They could also afford paying their victim to drop complaint or charges against them. Generally, when the victim dropped their complaint or recanted their testimony, they would go to the court to say they were you know, obviously not victim of sexual abuse. They have provided false statement to the police and their intention was not to bring those individuals to chapel. Uh, it was just their mistake. So basically when the when their statements were reversed by the victim, generally the court would find it very big case and eventually, and in many cases, the case or the charges were dropped. Uh, by the judges, and then the suspect got free. So where do these pedophiles lurk? Most often, it's hotspots where foreign tourists can easily approach local children. The riverside, the areas around the famous Watnam Temple, and the night market. It was there that a British pedophile, identified by the Cambodia Daily and the Daily Mail as Richard Fruin, picked up a trio of three brothers, aged 8, 10, and 11, by offering their mother Kuntir just 20 US dollars. I visited the area to talk with Kuntir and her eldest son Bora. For his age, he is wise. He's got his mother's eyes. There's gladness in his heart. He's young and he is wise. Standing here in Phnom Penh's famous night market area, which extends from the banks of the Mekong River along Street Number 106 all the way until Monivong Street. The night market is an area where street vendors of all kinds gather, predominantly on the weekends, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, to sell their wares, which can be anything from shoes, clothing, to drink stalls. The food and drink stalls are typically lined up along the side of the streets and they are heavily visited by foreigners and tourists of all kinds. The tourists appear to be unassuming at first, visiting just to check out the city, but often they will engage in conversations with the vendors. It was along this very street that Kuntir set up her drink stall last year, and this is where the British perpetrator actually came to inquire about her son, Bora. But what Kuntir did not understand at the time was that his seemingly innocent questions were actually a ploy to get to know her sons better. He asked about Bora first, and then about his two little brothers. <laughs> I know the offender when uh, he come to buy the uh, drink. 
and uh, he asked me, "Do you want the the, the son to go to school?" And I said that yes, I want um, my son go to school. And uh, and the guy said that I will pay the twenty dollars for the, the the son to school. So he bring the son to the hotel. The hotel that she speaks of is the Bong Mias guest house in the heart of the city. Although her cousin questioned why her boys needed to visit a hotel to learn English, Kuntir says it never occurred to her that her children would fall prey to sexual abuse. When Fruin first came by, he had an adult Khmer translator with him. Kuntir assumed that she could trust the translator because he was local. So I tell to the translator that. I trust you, and I, I let my son go with you and with the, uh, this guy. And when the, my son come back from the hotel, he look like tired. Uh, when I ask, what did, did did he do in the hotel? They don't they don't tell me, but they tell to the police. Bora told the police that at the guest house. The offender drugged him and then performed oral sex on him. When he stay in the hotel with my brother, let me a small uh, pill and I take it. I feel uh, sleepy and cannot control my feeling, and I sleep on the bed and often uh, and pretty uh, sky around my penis. I don't chew. All this time, his younger brother was given a game to play nearby, so he wasn't aware of what was going on in the bed. When the boys returned home the next morning, Bora didn't say anything to his mother. He was scared, perhaps, that she'd be upset and point the blame at him. So a month later, when Fruin returned, this time to ask for the two younger sons, she willingly let them go. What Kuntir didn't know at the time. Was that Fruin's activities with other children had not gone by unnoticed? A team of investigators from Apple Cambodia had already been conducting surveillance on him for some time. Riti is a lead investigator with Apple. He had watched Fruin cavorting with young boys at the city's trafficking hotspots. The first time our agent uh, saw him uh, drive a motorbike with a boy and with an adult. So, at, at in the midnight. We follow them, and then they drop the boy uh, around the riverside, and uh, Froon and uh, Adal they back to Bangkok. So they met uh, two more boy near uh, at the uh, minimart in the minimart, and he buy the some food for the children, the two children, the two boy. And then they go to his guest house with uh, Adal. When a foreigner buys local children food, toys, or clothing, it's a sure sign that he is doing so to lure them into a sex trap. Suspicious of what they saw, the Apple investigation team decided to intensify their surveillance. Here's what I learned from Juan Tim, the operation manager. When we uh, started investigation on him, I mean we uh, started to uh, get his ID identity, and then we conduct a search uh, by ourselves, and also uh, by uh, 
international police that we cooperate with. So like this case, uh, when he was identified, he uh, obtained his ID, identity, and then we conducted a search online, and we found that he is a child sex offender in the in the UK, and he also used convicted to be uh, after producing child, uh, child pornography. Armed with all of this information, the Apple team built a case and then sent it to the Cambodian National Police for investigation. We approached to the mother of the boy and the boy, and they said that British guy used to bring uh, his children to sleep uh, with him. So after we get the information and we report to the police and we check uh, the background of him, so he take the boy to the guest house and we call to police and they start out of him. The night Fruin took Kuntir's youngest son to the Bong Mias guest house where he was staying, the police stormed in to find him in bed with a half-naked eight-year-old boy, Bora's little brother. They immediately rescued him and called his mother to tell her what had happened. How had Kuntir missed the warning signs? One reason might be that Fruin had posed as a schoolteacher, someone to be trusted. He'd arrived in the country only a few months before his arrest to work as a teacher in training at the Universal English School, a local private school. So he took the, the, the children, you know, the children uh, aged under 15 years old at the private school. So for us, he's so uh, worried about the, you know, the safety at the school. Because in, inside the school, I mean, also in front of the school when he was live, he was into, you know, uh, playing with the, his student very in, intimately, like, you know, hacking and, uh, you know, uh, touching them. Fruin had obviously neglected to include his previous offenses in his job application. In Cambodia, there are no mandatory background checks required by schools or other public institutions to ensure the safety of children against what Sam Leung Sela labels as dangerous sex offenders in disguise. It is not required by the law to clear yourself or to provide background check uh, to the employer when you are applying for a job. We ask the Ministry of Social Affairs here to uh, take actions you know, into the orphanages, uh, NGO centre, who are running without standard of practices and especially without any child protection mechanism in place. And also to ensure that the ministry would require background check of any employee or staff or volunteer working directly with children. There are so many problems with this particular story layer upon layer. Though still young, Bora and his brothers are scarred by shame. How much counseling will it take to remove these scars? And what of the sex offender? Why was it so easy for him to flee to Cambodia to repeat a similar crime to the one he was convicted for back home? Will he be convicted on ground here? And more importantly, will he be deported? And then you have to question the nature of the crime itself. Is this pedophilia or trafficking? At what point do the two intersect? According to Sela, the laws of Cambodia say that as long as money has been exchanged, the crime must be considered trafficking. 
But that could complicate things for Kuntir, who says that she didn't know Fruin was a sex offender and that she regrets ever letting her boys out of her sight. I am so regret and pity my son so much. I'm, I'm feeling uh, so sad. Of course, Kuntir is poor and helpless. Two good reasons to understand that education is something you pay for and not the other way around. So why wasn't she suspicious about a foreign stranger offering her money to teach her children English? Kuntir may have trusted the Cambodian adult accompanying Fruin, but statistically, one in three Cambodian men pay for sex with a minor. Even if she doesn't know this, as a mother myself, I can't come to terms with why she would send her sons off at night with two complete strangers and then, without questioning, do the same thing just a month later. Could it be that if she admitted she was enticed by cash, then she could also be convicted for trafficking her own children? He's young and on fire, full of hope and desire. Sex exploitation travels along fault lines of social injustice that have existed for a very long time and won't easily be bridged. We make our children commodities. We leave them scarred for years, sometimes for life. But it's not an inevitable state of humanity, and in this struggle there is hope for change. That the efforts of organizations like Apple Cambodia and Destiny Rescue will lead to newer and tougher laws for trafficking. And that new communities will be birthed, like those created by Chavon and the Somali Mom Foundation, to educate the youth of Cambodia about their rights to the joy of a childhood free from sexual exploitation. There'll be a time I hear tell when all will be well. When God and man will be reconciled. Asian Threads is sponsored by the Wing Foundation.